quick while Aaron's getting things set up. I've been wrestling with this text for over three weeks. And I thought I knew what direction I was going in until the Holy Spirit kept stopping me, kept stopping me, kept stopping me. And finally I just put it away and all of a sudden I was reading it one morning and I thought, oh, I'm missing it, I'm missing it, I'm missing it. And finally the Holy Spirit made it very apparent of what this text that we're talking about today is all about. Last week, what an amazing message that was. I listened to it on the road about Jesus being our substitute. So this Sunday, we're going we're gonna to be talking about Jesus in control. Tuesday night, we're going to be talking about Jesus dying. And then next Sunday morning, we're going to be talking about Jesus is alive. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. So, John chapter 18, if you would, open your Bibles. John chapter 18. And if you're taking notes, you see the title on the screen, Jesus in Control. Jesus in Control. I think we need this today. I think somebody needs this today. I needed it. God knows I needed it. And so, John chapter 18, I'm going to read verses 1 down through verse 11. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Kidron where was a garden in, into the which he entered and his disciples. And Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place, for Jesus oft times resorted thither with his disciples. Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, cometh hither with lanterns and torches and weapons. And Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? And they answered, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus saith unto them, I am he. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. And as soon then as he had said unto them, I am he, they went backwards and fell to the ground. Then asked he them again, Whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. If therefore ye seek me, let these go their way. That the saying might be fulfilled which he spake of them, which thou gavest me, have I lost none. Then Simon Peter having a sword, drew it, smote the high priest's servant, cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Then Jesus said unto Peter, Put up thy sword into the sheath. The cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We're so blessed to have a copy of it in our hand. We can be able to read it. We ask that you would bless your word and may it come to the forefront of all that we study this morning. May it be the focal point. May you receive honor and glory. May people get the help they need by the Holy Spirit today. And just we say in Jesus' name, amen. Jesus in control. 
It was May 2007 when our son was diagnosed with hearing loss. In April of 2008, as you all well know, our son, oldest son, suffered from a, what the medical world calls a widowmaker heart attack. In October of 2020, our daughter was told that it was not going to be an easy road when it came to conceiving a child. I want to say our lesson in a sentence, and here it is. When I'm up against a situation that is more than I can handle, I can face it with confidence because Jesus is in control. <clears throat> so Jesus is standing in the garden. He's facing this sizable situation and the odds are not in his favor. There are a thousand of them, one of him. Humanity, or humanly speaking, this is more than what an ordinary man can handle. But we're not looking at your average person here. We're looking at Jesus. And this is not a situation where the circumstances involved are unplanned. You say, has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to Jesus? Is it any surprise to you or I that nothing surprises Jesus? So I'm going to give you the setting and the context of our text this morning. The cross now looms on the horizon. Jesus is making His ascent this is the last week of Jesus' ministry and earthly life. And we come to John chapter 18, verse number 1. This is the beginning of that last week of Christ. In the garden, Jesus is locked into this struggle against human passions. While not sinful in themselves, Christ must subjugate His emotions to the will of God. Jesus is never more human than in this moment that we find Him in the garden. Now I want to give you the hope and the message. Because if you read Matthew 26 and Mark 14 and you read Luke chapter 22, Jesus is in agony to the point of death. He's under such pressure that his sweat is as if it were drops of blood, and he actually were. He's looking into a cup. God's wrath, all the guilt, all the sin in that cup. And he prays the most human prayer that he's ever heard praying in all of the Gospels. Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass for me. If there is any other way that this plan of redemption can be carried out, let it happen right this very moment. But here's the hope in the whole message. In John chapter 18, Jesus is no longer struggling, but he's standing. And so the hope for us this morning is... When we are finished struggling, we will stand again. And so the, here, here's the context and the premise. Jesus is facing this situation where the odds are not in His favor. Yet He remains composed and controlled because there's a greater plan that is to be accomplished. So what are we going to learn from this this morning? 
what are we going to take away from this this morning? So when we are facing a situation where the circumstances are beyond our control, I must trust that it is not out of the control of Jesus. So first of all, what we learn is this, that Jesus is sovereign in my circumstance. You see, I will not escape this circumstance. Jesus brought me into it. He will sustain me through it. And He will see me out the other side of it. God is doing something in the midst of my mess. But I also learned that Jesus is superior to my circumstance. I will not enlarge these circumstances bigger than what they actually are. You see, I cannot permit this situation to become more prominent than in what I know Jesus can handle. I'm not going to let this thing get bigger than my God. And the third thing that we learn is Jesus is master over my circumstance, my situation. You see, these circumstances must not enslave me. See, I am not and I will not bow to my situation. My situation will not dictate to me how I exist and how I live and what my emotions are going to do. I will not. Jesus must remain Lord over my situation. My situation must not dethrone my view of God. So that's what we learn. Jesus is sovereign in my situation. Jesus is superior to my situation. And Jesus is master over my situation. John chapter 10, verse 18, Jesus makes a bold proclamation of sovereignty. He says this, No one takes it from me, talking about his life, but I lay it down of my own accord, Jesus said. I have authority to lay it down. And he said, I have the authority to take it up again. Jesus is master of his destiny. Jesus is sovereign of his destiny. Jesus is Lord of his destiny. B.B. Warfield said that Jesus is a man of destiny. He controls it from the beginning all the way to the end. And so here's our thesis this morning. Jesus displays complete control in five key areas of this moment in this last week. And I want you to really listen this morning. Because of these five key areas, He controls them in your life too. So let's get into this. You ready? I hope you are. Because you're in it now. Amen. Here's the first area, and it is the area of providence. I want you to look with me in verse 1 and 2, if you would. And here's what I want you to think about. Jesus planned what I'm facing. Listen, has it occurred to you that whatever you're going through has never occurred to God? Has it ever occurred to you that whatever you're going through, although it may take you by surprise, it never has surprised God? God in His providence has put you where you're at and allowed you to go through what you have gone through or are going through. And so I want you to look in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 18. When Jesus had spoken these words, He went forth with His disciples over the brook Kidron where, uh, where was a garden in the, in the which... He entered and his disciples. Now here's what really is interesting. Verse number 2, And Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place, for Jesus oftentimes had went there with his disciples. 
Now, in Genesis chapter 50, verse number 20, Joseph makes a very great statement. In fact, it's almost a bold statement of sovereignty on God's behalf. Look what he says. As for you, you meant it evil against me, but God meant it for good. See, the worldview has it that God is some disconnected entity who sits in heaven watching as man deals with life and deals with whatever life is throwing or whatever it has to throw at that individual. There is neither order nor purpose or anything that you and I face. God is just sitting in the grandstands of heaven, heaven watching us go through all this. That's what the world thinks. You see, providence is an interesting word. It means uh, pro, on behalf of, as well as forward. If you were to break it up, it would be provide. It means to see on behalf of. Uh, we say in English, I'll see to that or see to it to take care of or provide for. So in other words, seeing something with a purpose. It's to make provision for what we see. Seeing to it is what that word means. Something is acting on behalf of something. It's providing. Thus, it means this in layman's terms. God is going to, looking at us and saying this, I will see to that. Whatever you're going through, I'll see to that. I'll provide you what you need in that. So Judas hoped to catch Jesus by surprise. This was impossible because in Jesus' his whole entire life was prepared for this very hour. Jesus did not uh, end up in the garden because of chance or fate. Jesus plans the whole meeting and he arranges his whole arrest. If you look in John chapter 13 verse 27, he looked at Judas at the Passover and he said, Go do what you're about to do. As if he was saying, And I'll meet you there. And so Jesus positions himself to be found by Judas. And so Judas ordered the whole course. I mean, Jesus ordered the whole course of this night under complete control. Jesus is not driven blindly, onwardly by divine providence, unknown to himself or on a path that was not his own choosing with an unanticipated end. I want you to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8, and I'm going to show you something this morning. Romans chapter 8, it'll be on your screen up here. I first of all, I want to introduce you to providence. I want to introduce you to providence. I want to give you, if you're, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. The three P's of my problem. Here's, I'm going to give you three P's to your problem. First of all, I want you to write down providence. Look what Romans 8.28 says. And we know, thank God, and we know that all things work together for good. There's nothing that you're going through that doesn't have a purpose when it comes to God. Has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His what? Say it purpose so there's providence God's working everything out he's bringing you in it he's sustaining you through it and he's going to see you out the other side God is in control amen now I want to introduce you to this predestination for whom he did foreknow he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son 
I want you to say this after me. I'm in a process. Say it. And here's the process. Whatever you're going through, God is shaping and making you into, his, into the likeness of His Son. That's why it hurts so bad. Because listen to me. When God has to remake you, there's a little bit of pressure and there's a little bit of pain in the process. A little bit of pressure and a little bit of pain in the process. A little bit of pressure, a little bit of pain in the process. But we know that all things are working for a good. And what is that good? That I may become what? Conformed to the image of His Son. Now look at this one. I want to give you the promise. Here's your third P in your problems. Moreover, whom He did predestinate, them he also called there's our two words we found them in verse 29 and verse 28 and whom he called them he also justified and whom he justified them he also glorified here's the purpose in all this glory, 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 glory glory, glory, glory now look at this one This really here is the definition of what providence is God is stepping up into your situation he's saying I, I'm going to see to it I'm going to see to this thing. Look at this now. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Now here's what providence is. Providence is God being for me. God is for me. Now look at this. Don't clap yet. Don't clap yet. Look at verse 32 says, so you, 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 you shortchange yourself when all you do is quote verse 28. So you miss all these P's in here to your problems. The first one is providence. God said, I'm going to see to it. I'm going to put you in it. I'm going to see you through it. I'm going to get you out the other side. Amen. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because I'm going through. I'm not stopping. I'm not going to get stuck. All right. I'm going through to the other side. Amen. Look at this now. He that spared not his own son, <laughs> but delivered him up for us all. Here it is. Providence. How shall he not with him? Jesus. Who's in control, church? How shall he not with him? Who? Him who? Son, also freely give you all things. All things. What do you mean? All things to get you through verse 28. All things to get you through 28. If he gave you Jesus to save you, he's going to give you Jesus to sustain you. Amen. Amen. So number one, Jesus is in control providentially over your situation. Now let's go to number two. So here's the point I want to make. Listen to me before you go to point number two. You ready? No matter where providence takes you, no matter what providence wants to make you, God is always for you in your problems. Amen? Now, let's go to number two. Y'all with me? Y'all tracking? I hope so. Number two. You ready? In the area of knowledge. Look in chapter, look at John 18, verse number four. I love this verse. Look at verse number four. So listen, look at me. Jesus is in control in your, in, in what? In providence. But now Jesus is in control when it comes to knowledge. Not only does Jesus put you where he wants you, but he knows what you're going through, what you're facing. 
How many of you sit in this church and you've ever wondered, and I want you to be honest with me this morning, how many of you have ever wondered, man, I wonder if God ever knows what I'm feeling or I'm going through. Could I see your hand? Just be honest with me. Can I give you a promise? Jesus knows what you're facing. I want you to look verse number 4. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, Knowing all things. That word is a very, uh, technically it's in a perfect tense, but now it's written in a present tense in the Greek. It means to have seen something in the past and it becomes known in the present. So in other words, Jesus knew in the past what he was going to face. And listen to me, he was standing right in front of it at this very moment. He knew what was coming from the day he was born until the day he's standing right here in John chapter 18. He saw it in eternity past. Now it's become a living reality right now in the garden. That's what that word know means. He knows. He knew what this hour was. He knew what this moment was. So John is highlighting deity. He's highlighting deity. He is the omniscient Savior. His knowledge here is regarded over all things that are going to take place in that week that lies ahead of him. But beyond that, he knows what's going to what? Take place for all eternity. He knows that one kingdom will be defeated and another kingdom will rise victorious. He knows all things you see that there in verse number four all things that should come upon him all the sufferings that he should endure which were all determined by God he knew that him and God agreed to this uh, in the covenant of grace everything that was predicted about Jesus in the Old Testament he foretold by himself he knew what was coming he knew he would be arrested he knew he would be beaten he knew he would be scourged he knew he would what what be nailed to a Roman cross, but he knew he would get up the third day. And he knew he would sit on that throne again. He knows. He knows. Thank God he knows. Hey, did you know that when you caught up this morning and you thought to yourself, I wonder if anybody knows. He knows. He knows what you're going through. He knows what you're facing. He knows, church. Now I want you to notice in verse number four, it said he went forth. He did not hide himself in the garden like the first Adam did. Remember what the first Adam had? He said he hid, and God said, where are you? He said, I hid myself. Listen, Jesus didn't hide himself. He wanted to be found out. He wanted to be, my friend, caught. He wanted to be arrested because he knew. He knew. They didn't have to go looking for Jesus. Now, here's where this kind of a, is an application to us. We can associate with these disciples because we haven't even talked about these guys yet. They're sitting kind of behind him. But here, these disciples, they had no clue what was coming down the path. Jesus knew that Judas was coming. Jesus knew that a thousand men were coming with torches and lanterns and weapons. But these other guys, they didn't have a clue what was coming down the path. But Jesus shows omniscience. He knows all things. See, here's what I want you to get. Look at me. My situation becomes very hard for me to face because it always takes me by surprise. You know what the hardest thing about your situation is? Not knowing. Do you realize that? Do you realize that everything you're going through occurs to you and it is a surprise to you? But God knows all things. And He knows what you're facing. Do you understand that when you go into whatever it is that you're in the middle of right now, God knows how the thing's going to end before you do. 
God knows how you are when you go in it. God knows how you are when you go through it. God knows how it will come out the other side when you are, are finished with it. God knows. God knows. It'd be good if we knew what was coming down the path, would it not? How about an amen right there? That brings us to number three. I want you to look at the area of power. And here's what we want to take away from that. Jesus can do something about what I'm facing. Do you understand that? Jesus has brought me here. Jesus knows what I'm fixing to go through. And Jesus has the power to do something about it. Look in verse, look with me in verse number 5 and 6. Now this is a very interesting uh, text. They, they answered him. Now let's go back up to verse 4. Jesus therefore knowing all things that should come upon him went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? And they, said, they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Now that's a very derogatory name they just used against him. That's the same inscription that they put over his head. And they put King of the Jews, Jesus Nazareth, King of the Jews. Hang, and then, so this is kind of a derogatory. We're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. This is amazing. Don't miss this. Jesus saith unto him, I am he. And Jesus, Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. And as soon as that he had said unto them, I am he, they went backwards and fell on the ground. <laughs> Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Let me ask you something. Look at me. Who's in control? I mean, you've got a thousand men standing here with weapons, and you've got one man standing there. You got, you, got, you got 11 behind him, and they're not worth much themselves. They're trying to figure out what's going on. They don't even know what's happening. Jesus is standing there. Whom do you, who, who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. I'm he. I'm him. I'm, I'm he. So who's in control here? A thousand men, one man, or these 11? It's a very interesting question because here's what I want you to understand. There's not one person sitting in this church that hasn't asked that same question to God. Who's in control of this, God? Who's in control of my life? Who is in control here? So I want you to notice, he said, who are you looking for? There's two reasons that Jesus steps up to the plate here. I want you to get this because, listen, after he knew all things that were coming upon him, he actually, look at me, he actually did this. He stepped up to the plate and said, who are you looking for? Now there's two reasons why Jesus stepped up to the plate. The first one is Jesus wanted the attention on himself. And number two, Jesus wanted to make it clear who was actually in control. Can I tell you something this morning? You, listen, your situation is not about you. Jesus wants to step forward in your mess and let you know who actually is in control of your mess. Now get this. In verse 5 it said, Judas was also standing there who had betrayed him. Well, this is a solemn phrase that John kind of interjects in there by the help of the Holy Spirit. You know what? Here, I want you to get this. Judas represents the people that turn on Jesus when they're facing the hardest situation in life. G Judas represents that person that deflects on God and deflects on their faith and deflects on reading the Bible because they just can't handle the situation. Judas is standing here with them. You see that there. 
In the most darkest, in the most trying hour, it will definitely try where your heart and where your loyalty is. Are you going to stand with Jesus or are you going to stand with them? Get this. Judas goes back on Jesus. See, you can tell the true Christian man or a woman who she stands with when they're facing a trial. You can tell real quick. And most of the time, let's just be honest, because we're in church, most of the time we stand with ourselves and we don't stand with Jesus. We don't stand with Jesus. Now here's what I want you to get. You got your Bibles open, do you not? We're kind of having us a Thursday night Bible study. How many of you, I want to see your hands, how many of you are reading out of the King James Bible? Can I see your hand? Now you correct me if I'm wrong, but I... In, in my King James, which I'm reading out of, the he in that verse is in italics. Can I get an amen? So what does that mean? That means it's not there in the original manuscripts. They added it for clarity. That's what they did. They added that there for clarity. The, 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 the translators did. So let's read it without that. Can we do that? We're not going to do it in injustice, but I just want to prove something to you, okay? Ready? Let's read it without it. Let's read it without the without the, that he they, they answered and said we're looking for Jesus in Nazareth verse number 5 Jesus said unto them I am changes the whole changes the whole deal now I am I am I am the Old Testament Jehovah I am and they all fell backwards and went to the ground you got Jesus standing you got guys laying everywhere trying to pick up their sword, trying to, trying to fix their helmets, trying to pick up their lanterns. And Jesus is standing there, and, and he's like, hey, I thought, hey, can I ask you again? Who are you looking for? I am him. I am. You ready for this? This is a great, this is a great part. Ego eme. I am. It's the same as, that we read about in Exodus. Who shall I say sent me? Tell him I am sent you. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And in this garden, they said, hey, we're looking for Jesus and Nazareth. I am. You wonder why they went backwards? Because God was speaking, amen. You want to know who's in control? God is in control. Judas has no power. These thousand men have no power. Jesus has got the power. He speaks and men go down. Here's what you need today. You need a word from God because only God can speak and change your situation. That's all He does. He just speaks. He just speaks. He just speaks. So we know that He's superior in His knowledge. He's superior in providence. He's superior in power. Jesus is standing. Men are on the ground. Jesus is declaring, I am. God is here. God is in control. You know what he said in Matthew 26? He says, do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father? And he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels to come in, rescue me. Who do you think is in control? Amen. Who do you think is in control? Now I'm going to go to this one. One writer said this. Sometimes God permits you to come into a situation that only he can fix so that you can see that he's the only one that can fix it. <laughs> Amen? Can I ask you a question today? How many of you have been in a situation here recently where God just stepped in and said, I'm going to fix that? 
Can I see your hand? Don't be ashamed of them. Man, if God's worked in your life, you ought to lift your hand as high as you can and say, He fixed it. He fixed it. Oh, God, He fixed it. it there was no denying it. It was Him. So listen, He brought you here. That's providence. And He's for you. Can you say that with me? Say, God's for me. God, he's, that's providence, y'all. If God puts you in a tight spot, that means He's on your side. Amen. You say, that's a pretty... Yeah, just say yes. Amen. He's for you, and He knows what you're going through, and He's got the power to change it. But here's the one I like, number four. How about the area of care? Boy, I just about missed this. I just about missed this church, and the Holy Spirit backed me up and said, I really want you to get what's happening here. I've read this text. I've read this text for some 30 years now. And then I just now saw this. And man, it helped me. So he's, he's what? He's sovereign in the area of care. Here's what we need. Here's our takeaway now. Jesus cares that you're facing it. Let me tell you something about God. He's not some disconnected entity in heaven that says, you know what, I'm going to throw this at you and we'll see how you... You're not just a fish on the dry ground flopping around while God gets a thrill out of watching you flop and try to survive. That's not the way God works. God puts you there. God knows you're there. God has the power to change you're there. And God does what? He cares that you're there. Ain't that good? Now look at this. Don't miss this. You, you need this. Say, I need this. You do in more ways than one. Listen to this. Verse number 7. Then ask he them again, Who do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth, after they picked herself up off the ground. And Jesus said, I am. Now, they didn't go back the second time. Listen, let me, look at me. Jesus never has to prove to you that he's in control. One time's all it takes. They didn't go back this time. So look at verse number 8. Now, if I've told you that I am, you leave these alone and let them go their way. Now, I want you to get this in your head. I want you to get this in your, get this in your head. i got a 1,000 people standing in front of me. Now, I'm not Jesus, but I'm just going to pretend. And I'm standing in front of a 1,000 people, and i got 11 scared dudes behind me absolutely terrified they have no clue what's happening they've totally forgotten that Jesus has told them three times that he's going to go to Jerusalem and die and they're going to hang him on a cross and he's going to resurrect they've totally they, it's already slipped their mind just like you and I whenever we face a situation the first thing we forget is God can so here they sit here Jesus sits and there's a thousand problems standing in front of them a thousand problems standing in front of them and Jesus is standing here and they're standing there and he said I told you who I was let these go and so here's what he's and here's what he's saying in essence you ready for this this is good this is what he's saying take me and let these go now Jesus makes a phenomenal statement in verse number 9 the hour I want to show you something I want you to turn with me to John uh, turn with me over to uh, John chapter 17 can I show you something now this may shock some of your theology but that's good that's what I like I want you to turn with me to John 17 just one chapter over this is a high priestly prayer of Jesus 
I want to show you something. He makes a very profound statement in verse number 9 of chapter 18. They said, he said, Of them which thou givest, gavest me, I have lost none. You see that in chapter 18, verse number 9? That the saying might be fulfilled. Of them which thou gavest me, I've lost none. Now look at me before we read 17. Look up this way. So that what he's talking about, he said, I've not lost any of these you've given to me. Here I stand. Let them go and take me that it might be fulfilled. Now look in chapter 17, verses 1, verse 4, and verse 5. Here's what I want you to get. And here's what's going to just kind of disrupt the way you think. The hour of his death was never about these men. Okay? Look at me. The hour of his death was never about Jesus. You know what? You realize that Jesus' death was never about him? I want you to look with me at John 17, verse number 1. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour's come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. Look in verse 4. I have glorified thee on earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Look at me real quick before we read verse 5. Can we just take a moment? Let's just take a moment. You realize Jesus prayed that the cross was already a done deal. He said, I've finished the work. Now, if you'll flip over to John 19, not now, you'll hear him say what? It is finished. I finished it, and then when he breathed his last, he said, it is finished. Now look at verse 5. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Now here's what you need to understand. Jesus' death was never about them, Jesus' death was not even about him. Jesus' death was about glory. God's glory. God's honor. Now, let's, I'm going to slow down just a minute, can I? Because I want you to get what's happening here in verses 7 through 9. This cohort of men and officers, they actually intended to arrest all of them in the garden. Not only Jesus, but all 11 of the other ones. And can I tell you something? I think they was going to arrest Judas too. I think they just used him to get to where Jesus was. He knew that he, they, why would Judas know that he, where he was if he wasn't a follower? So I, their intentions, this whole thousand men's intent was what? We're going to arrest all of them. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna put, we're gonna put all of them in shackles. Two times in John chapter 6, verse 39, and John chapter 17, verse 21, Jesus declares his protective grace on these 11. And he said, I will not lose any of them. I will not lose any of them. Don't miss this. Christ's unending intercession for these men behind him shows that he desires to preserve and protect them in their salvation. He said, you take me and let these go. Jesus is standing between, don't miss this, Jesus is actually standing between problems and his people. <laughs> Man, when I read that, I said, Lord, are you kidding me? I told the Bible college, I just about let it out Thursday night. We were teaching about Jesus, and I said, Man, I'm going to tell you how many times has Jesus had to stand between my problems and me, and I didn't even know it because he's protecting me. He's preserving me. Now, let's, don't miss this. Don't, don't, don't get all 
Baptist Costal yet. So Jesus positions himself between his people. Don't miss this. You looking at me? I don't have my glasses on. Jesus positions himself between his people and what they can't handle. He stands between what they can't handle. Can I tell you something? There's nothing more difficult to handle than when it comes to your children. Nothing. When you're watching them go through something that you know you can't, you can't do anything to change it. And Jesus steps up and stands between me and what I can't handle. And there he stands before a thousand I can't handle it for these 11 men. Now, don't miss this. I'll give you a moment, just in a minute. So Jesus knew that they could not handle, listen to this, being arrested. They knew they couldn't handle being put to death because they would die. So what does Jesus do? Hey, you take me and you let them go. You let them go. They can't handle this. Can I share something with you? Their faith would have been shattered. Their faith would have been destroyed. They would Listen, Jesus is keeping them from doing what that man standing with them did, and that was their faith deflecting. He needed these men. These are the men that turned the world upside down with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He did not, he didn't need, he did not need them quitting on him. He did not need them deflecting on him. So here's what he said. I'm going to stand between you and what you can't handle. And get this. Jesus did not want them to deflect. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful. Don't miss this. God is faithful. Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that that you are able. But, thank God for that conjunction. But, will with the temptation make a way of escape take me and let them go you can't handle it but I can do you know how many times in my life I can't handle something and I never knew it but Jesus said you can't handle that I'm faithful I think that's what that means he is faithful He's faithful. A thousand problems. And he stands between me and my problems. He says, you can't handle that. Take me and let these go. Now, I think when he said that, those 11 behind him, let me tell you what they thought. That's our cue, dude. We're out. <laughs> He's got this. We'll let you handle it. See, that's a hard part for us. Now, let's, let's go on. You ready? Let's go to number, let's go to this one. Gosh, where's the time going? I really, I reduced my sermon on purpose to four pages, y'all. Listen to me. Jesus is sovereign in the area of providence. He's in the sovereign in the area of knowledge. He's sovereign in the area of power. He's sovereign in the area of care. But here's the biggie. He. Well, that was the end of that. 
Let's just do this. He's sovereign in the area of surrender. Jesus knows why you're facing what you're facing. So you don't know why. What is the first question we always ask ourselves? Why, Lord? Now, let me say this to you. I was just talking to somebody, a precious member of ours, right before church. Let me go ahead and clear everybody's superstitious way of thinking up. It is nothing wrong with you questioning God. Don't, do, don't go out here and say, well, I just can't even ask God a question. Are you kidding me? Don't tempt Him in your question. But I see nothing wrong with saying, God, I don't understand why I'm going through this. Because I'm not, I'm not infinite and neither are you, but He is. I'm fine out. I need, I need clarity here. Now, I want to show you something else. You got your Bibles open. Just stay with me. Stay with me. Look at what verse number 10 says. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it. And let me, let me paraphrase it real quick so I can hurry. And cut the right ear off of a man by the name of Malchus. Now Luke tells us that Jesus picked his ear up off the ground and stuck it back on and everything was good. Let me ask you something. Good point for amen. Who's in control? When Jesus picks your ear up and puts it back on your head, listen, you really want to put your sword up. You really don't want to mess with this dude, man. You know what I find ludicrous about this text? Why in the world would they come into that garden with swords and spears and lanterns and Jesus speak and they fall down? I would have said, listen, dude, you're on your own. I'm out. Then he picks the guy's ear up, puts it back on the side of his head. Listen, you really don't want to mess with this guy. I found out, I diagnosed myself. I know Dr. That we have doctors in our, uh, our, our congregation. But I, I've diagnosed myself. And, and I think you've got the same thing I've got. It's kind of catchy. It's called this. Impulsive control issues. And it's this. I have this sudden urge to do and say something. And then I ask my brain to get on board. Ain't none of y'all like that. I say and do stuff in my situation, and then I say, hey, brain, I need you to come over here and help me think my way through this now. Anybody like that in here? Yeah. There's three reasons why Jesus told Peter to put that sword up. And I think you're going to really find yourself saying, oh, man, thank you, Lord, I needed that. Here's the first reason. You don't gain nothing by resistance. You don't get through God's will by fighting your way through it. Here's the second reason. Jesus was saving Peter from himself. I know none of y'all in this church has to be saved from yourself. Listen, here's what you need to understand. Jesus did not want Peter to act stupid and have to deal with it later. Put your sword up, Peter, now. Then the third reason is God's will and God's glory is more important than my immediate relief. Some of you need to put your sword up. So what, what preventative measures? This is really good because where's little man at? Little man right here kind of hit on it this morning. I thought, man, he'd been in my notes in my office. 
Do you remember while they were in the garden and Jesus put eight of them at the entrance of the garden? Then he said, hey, you three, you come with me. That had been 11, so you three, Peter, James, and John, you come with me. The rest of you, I'm going to leave you out here. And you three, you come with me. So Peter, James, and John goes, and he sits here about a stone throws away, Matthew and Mark says. And he said, hey, you three, do me a favor. Could you watch with me and what? Pray. And then what, what does it say? He went and prayed, and he came back, and he said, what? Y'all are sleeping? You couldn't watch with me one hour? Do you not realize, and you read it in Matthew 26, this is what he said to him. Do you not understand that the flesh is weak, but the spirit is willing? Pray ye that the Father, when the hour of temptation comes. Here's the third reason. Here's what you need to understand. Jesus told Peter, he said, you better be praying because the time's coming when you're going to need to stand on that prayer not stand on a sword you know why Peter drew a sword because he didn't pray if he would have prayed his flesh wouldn't have got the best of him and he wouldn't have cut a man's ear off but he slept rather than prayed too many of us we try to pray when it's too late we should be praying before it ever happens so when it does happen you won't draw a sword. You'll trust him. You'll trust him. You'll trust him. So here's your takeaway. What do I get out of this? Has anybody got any help this morning? I know I have, and I've, I've studied it all week, and I'm being blessed just teaching it to you guys. You know, I was talking there, and we was talking about Easter, and I said, man... We lose the practicality in Easter. We get so caught up in the, the spiritual and all of the whatever goes along with Easter. We lose the practicality that, man, Jesus was human. And, and that's what we're going to focus on this week. This Wednesday night, we're looking forward to getting with you guys and having communion and, and talking about the cross. And then, man, the Lord's Day, we talk about resurrection. But there's some practicality here, y'all, that really helps us. And this is one that man when I struggle I will stand again and Jesus stood here listen why is it that John is the only writer of all the gospels that teaches us that he, you know he says nothing about Jesus falling on his face he never says anything about Jesus' sweat becoming great drops of blood he never says anything about Jesus praying three times that's a great lesson man don't pray once just keep praying until you hear from God John just said no I'm going to show you a savior standing after the struggle Amen. Now here's, what, here's our takeaway. Listen to me. You with me? Number one, God will position you where He can best work in you. We find that in verses 1 and 2. God's setting your life up where He can get all the glory. You say, what do you mean? I'm going to go ahead and say it to you in layman's terms. Urban terminology. God is setting you up for glory. How many of you have been set up in here? I want to see your hand. Say, I remember God set me up before. You know why he did it? For glory. Not for your, listen, not for you to fall. Not for you to fail. Do you know why you failed? You drove your sword. And Jesus said, you need to put that up. That ain't the way we do things. You don't fight your way through the will of God. Don't do that. Here's the second thing we take away. 
Jesus knows everything we're up against. My reaction to big problems is due to limited knowledge. You know why we react the way we do? If we just don't know. While we, what, what's, we don't know what's coming down the pipe, man. Hey, wouldn't it be nice if you were sitting, whatever it is you were sitting, doing whatever you were doing, that you knew what was coming? But see, the reason we react to big problems, I'm going to use this analogy if you don't mind. I don't mean it for anyone, but I'm going to use this analogy. Say you're sitting in the hospital room, and you have no clue why you're sitting in that hospital bed what that doctor that just left his office coming your way has got to tell you. All you're sitting there doing is what? Speculating and wondering and your mind's going a thousand miles a minute. Oh man, he's got bad news. Oh man, I, and you don't know. But it would be nice that as soon as he left his office, a nurse said, hey, the doctor's coming and let me go ahead and tell you what he's going to tell you before he gets here. And so, man, wouldn't that not be a blessing? Wouldn't that be a blessing that when you go to face something, the Holy Spirit comes knocking on your door and say, listen, in a couple of weeks, things are going to kind of get crazy in your life, but we just wanted to forewarn you from heaven's vantage point. Just brace yourself. It's coming. Wouldn't that be good? No, this is what's happened. It throws itself at you when you're least expecting it. It's because you just don't know. Here's number three. I can't fight nor force my way through my situation. I cannot take matters into my own hands. Here's what you need to understand. I make a bigger mess that Jesus has to spare me from. See, most of the time when I'm going through something, God really wants to work in a miraculous way, but He's too busy bailing me out from me trying to do what? Impulsively. Can I tell you something? Look at me. Here is the $1,000 phrase for the message. God doesn't need your help. Put your sword up. God don't need your help. God don't need your help to fix your marriage. God doesn't need your help to touch your children. God doesn't need your help to find you a job so you can get back on track and, and feel like somebody. God doesn't need your help for you to quit those addictions that are just, uh, my friend, wrecking, wreaking havoc in your life. God doesn't need your help. Put your sword up. You're not going to fight your way through this thing. Here's the fourth thing. The ultimate goal of my life is to glorify God in whatever I face. No matter what it is. No matter how hard it is. No matter how scared I am. I'm going to glorify God in this thing. I'm going to honor God in this thing. Here's what you need to understand. If I want to be, if I want the very best that God wants for me, I will have to accept the hardships for His glory. What did Jesus say? Am I not supposed to drink this cup? Instead of asking why me, God, why not ask why not me, God, for your glory? Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. I don't know what your situation is, but I'm going I'm gonna, I'm gonna to pray and then we're going to give you an opportunity to respond. Respond in your seat. Respond in this altar. I, I would suggest you come to this altar and just kneel down and say, Lord, i got to put my sword up. I've got to stop trying to fight you through this and fight you in this. God, you don't, I don't, you don't need my help. Or maybe you just want to come up here and just get on your knees and say, God, thank you. Thank you for being for me in my situation. I don't know what your situation is. I don't know what that looks like. 